Would you like to become the headline sponsor of the best football manager podcast on the planet next season? Would you like to be front and centre on the Football Manager Show alongside Tony and Aaron and Steve? Would you like to reach tens of thousands of highly engaged FM players every week? Yeah, of course you would. Well, your brand can advertise with us now. Our skilled and charming commercial team are waiting to hear from you. Contact partnerships at theathletic.com. That's partnerships at theathletic.com. The Athletic. Hello everyone and welcome to the Football Manager Show by The Athletic. On this week's show, we're joined by Andrew Sinclair from Sports Interactive to tell us how to prepare for promotion and relegation in Football Manager. The Tactics Showroom is open for RDF to strut his stuff and we draw the curtain on our Sheffield Wednesday Community Challenge. So let's get started. You've done it. After a long, hard season, you've been promoted. You look around the dressing room and you wonder who can step up. Alternatively, it's all gone terribly wrong and you've just been relegated. You look around the dressing room once more and wonder who you can offload these players to. Ultimately, pre-season planning has just stepped up. In order to help get the most out of your pre-season prep following a promotion or relegation, we've enlisted friend of the show, Sports Interactive's Andrew Sinclair. Welcome to the Football Manager Show. Hello, thanks for having me back, guys. Right, now obviously we're, we're delighted to have you back as always. Obviously you're a regular contributor to the show, but we may have some listeners who maybe are only just tuning in for the first time. So, for their benefit, can you please tell the listeners what it is you do all day? Yes, so I am PR and content executive within the, the communications team at Sports Interactive. So I do an awful lot of our written communications. So that's on our website, on our store pages. But I also liaise with the press, uh, both in the UK and overseas, to help spread the good word of Football Manager and kind of tell the exciting stories connected to the game that we want everybody to know about. Keep spreading the good word. Now we're talking about stories and that's what football manager is it's stories isn't it everyone has that story of promotion the story of relegation so this is why we're here we need you to help us plan for it okay so first question promotions not something i'm massively familiar with but we'll go with promotions <laughs> right what is the first thing you do when you know that promotion has been achieved my first thing whenever i've been promoted in the past is to basically assess my squad and use the uh, comparison feature within the, I think it's located within the squad planner now, to compare your team and the attributes of your players to the rest of the league. So you'll then be able to see where you're strong and where you're going to be particularly deficient. So I achieved a promotion in FM23 with uh, Fortuna Dusseldorf. I went into the Bundesliga and looked at the squad comparison and I realised that Technically, in terms of our passing, our set pieces, 
we were, I think, 17th out of 18 teams in the Bundesliga. So then that shaped my transfer window. I had about 15 million to play with and it was like, right, well, I need to focus on improving the quality of my midfield. I need some more technical players because, okay, we're not going to have a lot of the ball, but when we do have it, I want us to actually be able to retain it and do something useful with it. So that's sort of my first port of call is to try and work out where we're weak relative to everybody else and then work out how you can use the money that you've got, which will, of course, come from uh, promotion, from winning the league below or coming up for the playoffs, uh, and also the increased sponsorship revenue you're going to have from being in a, in a higher division. So, yeah, it's it's using that squad feature to assess my recruitment. That's the first step. Uh, and then probably working on tactics would be step two. The comparison page is a very good page for those if you want to find it. On the left-hand side, you've got the squad planner and then the beautiful uh, squad planner page will come up. And then under the reports tab, you can just click on comparison and then you can compare your team with the rest of the clubs in the league. Now, for me, the first thing I look to do is to see who's out of contract because if I set them um, to release, that frees up some budget in my wages. Or is that strictly right? Is that right? Is that correct? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, because I think if you if you look on the, the finances, it says that you're, I can't remember the exact word, but it's basically projected spend. So if you've already yeah. marked those players as set for release, your projected spend is going to be lower because you're not going to be carrying those wages for the next season. Uh, so yeah, that's that's definitely a way to try and work out what money you've got at your disposal. And yeah, the out of contract market is going to be your friend because you might have <laughs> some money, but realistically, if you've you know, England is a good example. The gap between the championship and the top flight in England is quite a big one. And that's why you often see there are those clubs like Norwich, for example, that go up, go down, go up, go down again. You really need to look at trying to sign the best players that are out of contract and spending more on their wages than, you know, spending £10 million on a wonder kid because although they might be useful in four years' time, they're not going to help you get a you know, a 1-0 win at Stoke on a Tuesday night type thing. <laughs> that is going to be the difference between you coming 16th and you coming 18th. So it's about trying to find quality. It's about trying to find experience. Players who've been there, done it, got the T-shirt of playing in the top levels that you can get on maybe a one or two year deal and you haven't had to spend the transfer fee. You can just focus on the wages and then building a squad around experienced leaders that, that will help you stay up. I think that's pretty much where I am at the minute, to be honest, Andrew. I've, just before we started recording, um, I'm in a bit of a, I'm in a bit of a pickle at East Fife. We were predicted to get promoted. We almost got relegated. So this is is a perfect discussion for me right now. I was looking at bringing in young players. I think I need those experienced heads in instead. But I want to look a little bit more into this financial side of things. Okay, now one thing I've noticed is is sometimes okay, I'll hold my hand up. Sometimes. I may not have noticed that I've added promotion wage increases on the contracts. Now, obviously, if we're going to get promoted, there's going to be some players in that squad who we don't necessarily want once we do get promoted. How quickly should we be getting rid of them? Yeah, it's it's not an easy one. I think the thing I would always say is, you know, especially if you're looking at, say, lower league management, where you're hopefully going to be getting promotion after promotion after promotion, you're probably going to need an overhaul of that squad every year of a number of players. So really you need players that can come in and do a job for maybe that season and maybe one more, and then you're moving them on. Whether that means you're letting them go because you're not going to get a lot of transfer fees, certainly lower down the pyramid, or whether you're just trying to bring them in and then sell them for whatever you can at the end of that first year. I think my thing is always sign shorter term contracts when you've just been promoted, because really 
say, you know, to use the, the England example, if you go from the Championship into the Prem and you bring in some older, more experienced players, really, you only need them for that first season. Because once you've stayed up once, the money that you're going to get, the increased transfer revenue you're going to get, uh, and the amount of money you're going to have to play with, you're going to be able to build a much better squad. And in theory, season two will be better and then season three and so on. So really, you only need those experienced heads for year one. So I would try and keep the contracts to two years max for those players that you're bringing in. And you're always got one eye on the future. But yeah, I'd certainly say in your predicament, Tony, it's got to be age over over star potential. Mm, seems fair. So typically, how long do you spend planning for the following season? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I think I think, to be honest, it depends how your previous season has gone. So if you've won yeah. the, the division below at a canter and, you know, at, at Christmas, you haven't lost a game, then you realistically, you know that you're going to be going up to the top division. So then you can really start looking then at, OK, where can I improve the squad? Where do I need to improve quality? You might know that. I'm playing really well, but to be honest, my right back, he's only just about good enough for this division. So he's definitely not going to be a top division level right back. So you can then set up a recruitment focus or whatever to start trying to find the ideal first choice for that position that, that's going to help you compete at a higher level. Um, if you're, on the other hand, you've had a middling season and then you sneak into the playoffs on the last day and you're the sixth best team in the championship and then you somehow end up coming up via the playoffs... You've got a lot less time to work with to try and work out, okay, how are we going to bridge the gap between sixth in the championship to comfortable in the in the Prem? So really, it's a bit of a cop-out answer, but I would say it just depends on how well how well your promotion season has gone. That will dictate how much time you've got to plan. Now, you could be super confident in your abilities and say, you know what, I'm a tactical wizard. We're definitely going up. I'm just going to work on signing all these players and you know, as soon as that pre-contract window opens, you're going to be ready with your offers for however many players and be like, yep, yeah, you know what, next season we're going to be ready to go straight away. I don't even have to use the deadline day stuff. But in most cases, I would say probably by March or April, you'll have worked out where you're going to be playing your football the next season. So then really that, that would be the time I would think most people would be planning. But if at Christmas, you know, you're walking away with it, you can probably start thinking about six months early. Obviously, there is problems as well, where some leagues do have that pre-contract window opens up in December and maybe you've already committed to players that aren't <laughs> going to be playing in the league that you're playing in. Um, so that can be a bit of an issue. I mean, you've mentioned there about sort of comparing yourself to, to teams in your league, obviously, going whereabouts are you in terms of your ability. I mean, would you have a quick little nosy at the leagues like above as well, sort of like looking at, at how those teams are stacking up? And I'm thinking maybe organising friendlies against teams of that level so to see where you're at in terms of that on-the-pitch success or, or potential failure? Absolutely, but I think one of the big tools is is the cup competitions. You know, if you do well in the cups, you're probably going to play teams at a higher level in those competitions. And I always, you know, when I'm, I'm trying to go for promotion in a save and I get drawn against a better team in a cup, I always say to myself, I'm going to play my best team in this cup game because I want to see how I stack up against this top division team. Now, with Dusseldorf, I got drawn against Bayern Munich in the German Cup and they beat me 6-0. And I was like, <laughs> I don't want to go up now. This isn't fun anymore. <laughs> uh, but it can be a good indication because if you played, say, I don't know, a mid-ranking Bundesliga team, if I played a Stuttgart or a Hertha Berlin or something, 
and we'd won it 2-1 or or we'd lost to a late goal, you're then able to think, hang on, we didn't get dominated. We didn't get outplayed. We were competitive in a competitive game against a team in the league above. So if you think I'm going to be able to add players to my squad by next season, what I'm doing now, tactically, whatever, I can compete in that division above. So I think the friendlies can help, but they can't necessarily reflect the competitive environment of a cup game. So if you can focus on doing well in the cups, even if it's only the odd game, they can be useful indicators as you start to think about going up to the the higher divisions. Nice. I'm all about the tactics. (laughs) I'm all about the tactics. Do you think about a new tactic during the same season? Like, So if you know you're getting promoted, do you start thinking about tweaking early or do you kind of play out the first couple of games? Or even when you're tweaking, do you look at the data? It's probably a bit um, dependent on the situation and scenario, but do you actually look at the data as well before you get promoted? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because, you know, normally, you know, we'd all in an ideal world love to play open, expansive, ticky-tacky, (laughs) gag-impressive football. And that will often work in a lower division. But suddenly when you go up to a higher level where there's going to be a, a quality differential between your players and the opposition that you're facing... It, it can be a lot harder. So if I take my, my Dusseldorf team as an example, in the Bundesliga 2, we were playing high-press front foot football and we dominated the league. Now, I saw in that cup game against Bayern Munich, if I try and do that, I'm not going to have as much of the ball, first <laughs> off. And if I do try and press them, they're just going to run rings around me and Leroy Sane is going to score four goals. So you have to think about, OK, I know how I want to play, but is that actually sensible? And as I said, the name of the game when you first get promoted is just staying up that first season. Because once you've survived, you can then begin to establish yourself. So my I always try and look at the data and work out, okay, we scored 80 goals, but you know, did we actually create a lot of chances? Were we getting loads of shots off every game? And yeah, I think tactically, my thing always when I go up is regardless of how good I think my squad is, this is specific to kind of second division to first division promotions. If you're playing lower league management, it's a bit different because realistically, if you win the National League South, you could well be a very good team in the National League anyway because the gap isn't that big. Uh, but if you're, say, going from a second division in the country to a top division, the gap can be quite big. So generally, my rule of thumb is, you know, you need to start playing a, a more conservative uh, counterattacking style when you go up because you are going to have less of the possession, you are going to have less chances every game. So you just need to make sure that you're able to soak up pressure from better quality players and then have direct outballs to actually make quick transitional moves in the other the other direction. So as I say, with the Dusseldorf thing, we were playing that heavy press. When I went up, we were playing a sort of a fluid counter-attacking system that allowed us to soak up pressure and then break the lines. And we ended up finishing seventh in the Bundesliga in my first season Mm. there, purely playing that counter-attacking style. And then I was like, oh, hang on, we've snuck our way into Europe in our first season. (laughs) So next year, I know I've got the players who are capable of playing at this level. We can start playing on the front foot a bit more. So then it was a more controlled possession style in that second season. And then, you know, three or four seasons into being in the Bundesliga, we were back to playing that heavy press style that I'd been using originally. And we ended up winning the Europa League. So... It's one of those that, you know, you might have to suck up not being great in your first season and maybe playing a a more negative or, you know, counter-attacking brand of football that means you get less highlights per game. 
But again, it's survival is the name of the game. So that can be a big thing. And the data can help you with that, especially after your first few games in the top flight, because you could just try and play exactly the same way. And if you lose five games on the spin, 4-0, you're like, okay, that's not going to work. I'm conceding way too many chances. Or even if you get some decent results, but you face 20 shots every game, you're like, okay, this isn't sustainable. So yeah, the data and data hub in particular can be really useful, but just generally be prepared to play on on the back foot a little bit more. And you can see that in real life. Like Fulham are a prime example of that this season. Last year when they were in the championship, they were playing really good, aggressive front foot football and they dominated the division. This year, they transitioned to being a lot more of a back foot counter-attacking team and they're still reaping the rewards and they're in the top half of the table. So it can be done and it's just something that you need to be prepared for because one system isn't always going to work in every division. That makes a lot of sense, to be honest. And, and one question that I do have, because I've, I've had, I actually believe it or not, I taught myself down, but I have had back-to-back promotions even this season, right? You know, with Oxford, I went from the National League to League Two to League One. So I know it can be done and you're right, that gap isn't as big as jumping to the championship. God, we found ourselves out in League One. <laughs> but what I was thinking, though, was not necessarily down to the tactics. Is there just a morale spike? So when players are playing well, morale's up through the roof. Ace Fife at the minute, I'm guessing I've got to get everyone back off the floor for next season going, come on, we nearly got relegated. Like, clear the decks, get new faces in. But is is there such a thing in the game that morale just carries you? Both oh. positively and negatively? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that undoubtedly exists. And it's it's one of those <laughs> things that's very hard to quantify, but it does make all the difference because good results and, and good points on the table and a healthy league position, that breeds confidence within the squad. And it's one of those intangibles that can carry you through a game. But likewise, I think you, you notice it more in FM23 than maybe in other versions. Two or three bad results on the spin can suddenly become <laughs> six or seven. It, it's a lot more... Once heads start to drop, it can be a lot harder to turn it around. So, yeah, it you know, morale and trying to keep morale high is a big thing. And in some ways, it's luck. Like, if you if you get promoted, for example, and in your first five games, you've got to play four of the teams that qualified for Europe last season, you're realistically looking at not just a few losses, but potentially a few hidings as well. <laughs> and then immediately, you're maybe after five games, you're second bottom in the table. And you've got a really bad goal difference. And then suddenly your players are like, oh God, we're not good enough for this level. Whereas if you get to play some of the other promoted teams or or teams that aren't favoured to do that well, and you're able to get off to a healthy start, you then might be more likely to nick a point off one of the big boys just because your players have got that belief. That's not super easy to quantify in game terms. And it really just depends on the, uh, the mystic workings of the fixture computer. But... It can be a big difference. And yeah, sometimes if if you've gone a whole season without losing a game, for example, that could carry on to the next season. But, you know, if you've replaced half the squad, it's going to make less of an impact. Keeping those results good uh, and avoiding a bad, uh, just a run of horrible results will probably put you in a a better place. And there's not an easy way to, to fix it, but you can adjust training to do some of the sessions that, you know, include team bonding once a week or community outreach, something that's going to improve morale. Um, or, you know, make sure that they're not being overworked. They're not doing three sessions a day every day. You know, they are getting breaks. You're not being too critical of the players. Even if they played really poorly or whatever, we all understand that 
you get criticised so many times, you eventually stop listening or get fed up <laughs> or whatever. So if you can praise the players where you can and make sure that training is, is organised in a way that they're all going to benefit from it, and you talk up the players in the press conferences, all those things can make a little bit of difference. And then if you get the good results, hopefully you can chain that into something really positive and impactful. My favourite thing about good form is when you go to a away game and you know you shouldn't have won that game, but you've just come away with the three points and you've just got this smug look in your face. <laughs> looking at it. As much as we want to improve the playing side once we get promoted, do we need to do the same with the staff off the pitch as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, normally getting promoted will, will usually see a, an increase to the number of staff that you can have. And as we've talk, spoken about already, you're probably going to have more money at your disposal as well. So really, if you've got a better coaching allocation, you should absolutely be trying to use the wage budget you have to bring in some higher quality members of staff. You don't want to refit everyone straight away because it's probably not going to be possible. You're going to have to terminate some contracts. But if you've got availability or you've got people coming out of contract, absolutely you should be upgrading because, again, it's one of those things that might only give you 1% or 2% difference over the course of a season, but that 1% or 2% could be the difference between you going down by a point or you staying up by two points. So absolutely, if you can upgrade the staff or you can bring in better people who've got experience at that elite level, absolutely go for it. I mean, that's all well and good for being promoted, but what happens if the opposite happens and you <laughs> go down? I mean, what tips have we got to try and make it the the best type of relegation <laughs> yeah. we can have? I'm asking for a friend, by the way, just, <laughs> just completely unrelated, but I will be making notes while we talk about this. <laughs> yeah, I can hear your pen clicking already. Um, yeah, so I feel a little bit smug saying this. I've never actually been relegated in Football Manager. So this is slightly, it's not from experience, this advice anyway, but generally, if you are still in the job and you've been relegated, it's probably because the club expected you to go down anyway. If you weren't expected to go down and you somehow managed to achieve that, you've probably been given the elbow before (laughs) you've actually gone down. So generally, I think if you're still with the club when you go down, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to make wholesale changes. Because if you've still got the crux of the squad that won you promotion the season before, you're probably good enough to win promotion again. And if you think, say, England, for example, the amount of money you got for going up in the first place and then the parachute payments you get when you go down, you're going to be in a financially far better position than the other teams in your league. So if you can kind of use that money to improve your squad but just make sure that you're better than everybody else. You're probably going to go straight back up. But yeah, going down, especially if you're not favoured to stay up and you've been playing against much better quality teams, doesn't necessarily mean you have to tear everything up and start again. It's just a case of thinking, okay, well, we were good enough before and I've won promotion before, so let's just do it again. And when I go up next time, I'll be more prepared for the step (laughs) up in quality. You say that in hope rather than expectation. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was going to say similar because um, I had a save last year Pro Vercelli where we was at right at the bottom uh, Serie C and then we got promoted promoted to Serie R but it evident it was it was 
too much of a jump for us. But um, it was a good opportunity. When we got relegated, we did feel bad. I say we because it was straight, it was streamed at the same time and I had to include everyone. It wasn't just me that got relegated people. <laughs> and um, yeah, it was actually a good opportunity then when we did get relegated. So when we got that relegation uh, message, there was still about eight games left to play. <laughs> and then it was a good opportunity actually just to rip the club apart, get rid of basically recovering from your mistakes it was the stuff that I didn't um, replace in the first place where I could have improved that could have been sports science could have been data analysts it could have been scouts anything I literally just ripped the club apart and then I just prepared and then in Serie B we got promoted again to Serie A where things actually became a lot more smoother but beyond what we've already spoken about for those who are listening who have may not tried a promotion campaign before what are the things that excite you about it and why is it an interesting save to try I think on a on a basic level, if you can find a club that's never been to a certain level before, I always enjoy taking them over and getting them promoted because then you're writing your own history for, for that club. But I think it's just fun as well because you get to test yourself as a player of the game. Everybody loves playing football manager when you win all the time because it's like, oh, I won. I feel great. I obviously <laughs> know what I'm doing. But it, you also get the challenge element when you go up of actually, hang on, no, we're maybe not going to win all the time and I actually have to think about why we're not winning or how can we make a little bit more of every season. So normally I was someone who would work on attacking corners in FM and then I just wouldn't bother with any other set pieces. (laughs) Uh, And then listening to this show, uh, both when Ian was doing it, when you guys have been doing it, I've, I've actually made copious notes during the set piece segments (laughs) Because I was like, when I go up, I need to make sure that I'm getting a few more goals going in for me and a few less going in at the other end because those goals could make the difference between me staying up and going down. So now, when I go to any club, the first thing I do is sit there spending ages looking at the squad, working out what we can do with the set pieces, whether that's short throw-ins, far post corner routines, making sure that on defensive corners, I've got someone fast waiting on the halfway line so that we can play an out ball to them and maybe we can create a breakaway. So, yeah, that is something that I enjoy doing as well because, again, it's just pushing you to look at the game in a different way, think more about the game, and actually, for me, there's nothing more satisfying than that, that Dusseldorf save I had this year of getting promoted, implementing a totally different tactical system and still being competitive with the best teams in the Bundesliga. And, you know, winning... 2-1 2-1 away at the, the Allianz Arena against Bayern Munich on, as a counter-attacking team after losing 6-0 in the cup the previous <laughs> year, I was like, yeah, you know what, Nagelsmann? There you go. Who's won today? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it, you know, it's one of those things because I think getting promoted, it's fun. It's fun to do. It means you're going to be really good for a season. But then when you go up, it's the opportunity to actually go, yeah, you know what? I can I can build something here. I can tweak it. I can think more about the game. And I suppose from a transfer's point of view, it gets you out of the mindset of, well, I know who all the elite wonder kids are, so I'm just going to sign Bargy from Copenhagen or I'm going to sign this one or, or this one or, you know, all the players I've seen you tweeting about recently, Aaron, you know, those players. <laughs> it's not just a case of me saying, well, I know who to sign now, tick, 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 tick. It's actually me thinking, well, you know what? A 19-year-old, two-star current ability, five-star potential isn't going to help me win against the the mid-table Premier League teams. So I need to look at thinking, okay, well, who played at this level last year who's out of contract? Or who was playing in Syria who was out of contract, who I can bring in, and they're just going to give me that little 5% of extra quality. Uh, And yeah, the Wonder Kids are fun and great, and you can have them later on, or maybe they come from your own youth academy. But 
yeah, again, it just forces you to, to think about the game in a, in a different way. The relegation side of things, I've not been through that yet. So maybe, maybe that's something I need to experience. So I can have a bit oh, more fun with it that way as well. You've got to experience a yeah, relegation. Yeah. If, not, if not a relegation dogfight, survival on the last day of the season is the greatest feeling in the world. Oh. Andrew Sinclair, always, always, always a pleasure having you on. Andrew Sinclair from Sports Interactive, thank you very much indeed. Thanks for having me, guys. Hello there, I'm Ali Maxwell. I'm the host of the Athletic Football Tactics podcast with Michael Cox, Liam Tharm and Mark Kerry. Each week we try and better understand and explain where possible the game that we love and we look at things through a, a tactical and analytical lens. We love a deep dive, we love to myth bust and just generally try and tackle football discussion in a depth and in a way that I don't think you find on many other pods. In recent weeks, we have released a two-part series looking at the state of football management. We've also looked at understanding Red Bull football and how well it travels outside of the Red Bull empire. Join us over on the Athletic Football Tactics podcast feed. Just search for the name of the pod wherever you listen to yours. The Tactics Showroom is open for business this week as we've decided to give Aaron the chance to strut his stuff once more. So, Aaron, what have you got for us today? Well, today we are going to be looking at the box formation. The Brazilian box, the Samba Square, it's got different names, but ultimately, what does it mean and how does it look? Well... The look of it, it's a flat back four. And then what we are going to have, it's two defensive midfielders. And now this is where it's kind of your preference. You can go for two central midfielders or go for two attacking midfielders, which is a bit risque. So I'm going for two central midfielders today because the, the aim of this as well, it's of course, many of us are not going to be the most elite team. So I'm trying to design something that you can use at Manchester City, but you could also use at mid-table, I don't want to name a name to be disrespectful. <laughs> I don't want to name a club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can use it at mid-table FC. Um, <laughs> right. We're obviously going to go through it. We're going to describe exactly where the players' positions are on the, uh, yeah. on, on the, on the pitch. We're going to look at the instructions. Obviously, we're going to get the video up on YouTube. If you do want to have a look at it towards the end of the week, they will be there. Uh, search the Football Manager Show by Athletic on YouTube. Then you'll get to see the video. Um, but otherwise, we'll be as descriptive as we possibly can okay so Aaron goalkeeper defend flat back four talk to us through these these rules we're going to be doing here so we're going to start off should we start off with the instructions or the player or so I'm actually going to start off I'm going to start off the uh, instructions so with the mentality we're going to go for attacking so we want the ball to be played in the opposition's half we want to get the strikers involved but also those two central midfielders forward and those wide fullbacks as well to get further forward we're going to play out from the back because we want it to be possession based passing directness is going to be knocked all the way down to shorter but for the tempo we're going to operate with a slightly higher tempo just so we can get the ball from back to front fairly quickly and attacking width set to fairly narrow because we've got a very very narrow shape and we're just trying to complement the shape as best as possible and then also dribbling as well like I said it's kind of for all teams it's, we want it to be suited for all teams so we're going to have a possession base 
style of play, but also we're going to add some more directness into play as well. Because of course, we have no wingers directly running at the defenders. So we're going to add that instruction on dribbling, run at defence. Now, moving into transition, when possession has been lost, we want to be proactive rather than reactive. So we're going to counter press, try and win the ball back as soon as possible. When possession has been won, now I'm actually going to leave this blank. Or you can use hold shape, but I'm going to leave it blank because it gives us that flexibility. If the game's going wrong, we can switch to counter or we can just continue. We kind of have a more focus, greater focus on holding our shape. The reason being is just so we don't kind of lose our four midfield shape because this actually helps us defensively really, really well. So I'm going to hold our shape for this video and for the podcast. And then when the goalkeeper is in distribution or in possession, he's going to distribute it to the centre-backs because if he distributes it to the full-backs, the full-backs will have the ball but we'll have little options when looking ahead. They will have the touchline on the left-hand side and then no one straight ahead of them. Whereas the centre-back will have the option to play it wide to a full-back or ahead of them to a holding midfielder. Lastly, out of possession, we're actually going to use a mid-block. Nothing overly aggressive because not every team can handle that aggressive football. The trigger press though will be on more often and prevent short goalkeeper distribution. And that there... It's the team instructions. We are set up possession-based, but we have added some little direct play at running at the defence in there. Mm, okay, so there's one thing that this jumped out at me straight away, and um, is when you've got your transition uh, section. Yeah. Now, you, you have gone with hold shape. Now, not something I've used a lot, to be honest, and I'm sure maybe some of our listeners haven't used it a lot either. I think yeah. the natural inclination is to hit counter when possession's <laughs> been won, hit counter-attack, but as you described... If you hit counter-attack, you're going to have players drifting from position. So although yeah. we want we want this narrow shape, when we counter-attack still narrow, then that means that, as you say, when the ball comes back, we've not got midfielders spread out wide into, into wide areas. Is that the thing behind it, it? Exactly. So if we win the ball back and we're going to go on a counter-attack, you'll also notice with some of the roles as well, spoiler alert, I will be adding a Mazala. So if you go on a counter-attack, that Mazala could possibly just instantly roam. So the Mazala will look to roam from his position anyway, but we want this to be timed as well. We don't want it just to be at any given time. So once we do win the ball, we don't want the, the central midfielders just to be moving from their position. And the wing backs obviously will look to get further forward. The strikers will be doing what the striker wants to be doing. So actually we'll be losing our shape, but it's not what we want to happen. Because if we do lose the ball again, actually the opposition on the break can hurt us because we have no wingers. So they can either just attack down the wider areas where we're all disorganized or they can attack central areas as well, where again, we'll be disorganized if the central midfielders have decided to leave their position too early. Mm, and to be honest, I don't know, it might sound like a bit of a cop out now, now that you've said it, but I was actually thinking in terms of Mazalas because they, they are going to exist. I was just like, I wonder if he's going to use a Mazala here because that's why he's holding the shape because you don't want them moving out if they're then going to be counter-attacking. So, all right, there exactly, you go. Yeah. We've already won the Tony tactics here. Um, <laughs> so, let's get on to it then. Let's look at some roles yes. at present. So, for the audio listeners, we've got that flat back four. Two, at the minute, we're setting two defensive midfielders. So, in the sort of the next step up. And then we're set two centre midfielders on the halfway line. Then we've got that gap for where the AMs tend to go in and then our strikers. But you say that there's fluidity. You can move your halfway line centre midfielders up into those sort of yes. support striker, shallow striker AMC roles if needs be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly that. And then in goal, we will be using a sweeper keeper. That's kind of standard for possession. That's kind of the standard role in football manager. <laughs> I think many people just go straight for the sweeper keeper. And then the left side, the central defender, will be a ball-playing defender. We're going to have someone that is comfortable with the ball, but can also 
bring the ball forward and play some counter-attacking passes if they're on. And his central defensive um, partner will be just a central defender on defence, someone that's more composed in possession, looking to hold onto the ball and just recycle it. The left back is going to be a wing back on attack. He's going to be looking to get further forward and support play because, of course, we need some width. <laughs> we ain't going to have any sort of wingers there. So both full backs are going to be wing backs. But the one on the left is on attack. The one on the right is on support. And then we're going to move slightly ahead into the defensive midfield area. We're going to have a halfback, someone that's just going to drop deep, look to collect the ball from the central defenders. And what tends to happen is they will drop or he would drop in between the two. The two central defenders will split and this also allows the wingbacks to advance higher up the pitch as well. And then his partner is going to be a deep line playmaker on support. So actually what we've got here is two holding midfielders that like to hold a position. And this is one reason why a box formation can be very, very strong in defence. So we've got a, a halfback just protecting the back line. And then we've also got a defensive or uh, a deep line playmaker holding this position again in front of that back line. It can be very very difficult to break down which then goes back to our point about the counter if we'd use the counter attack and then the two central midfielders go and then one of the defensive midfielders go then suddenly we've lost that very organized defensive structure now moving into uh, midfield we on the right hand side we're going to use a mazala on attack now this is one reason why we've got the wing back on support because we can also rely on the mazala to drift out and um, help the wing back on the right hand side and again going back to that counter <laughs> counter attacking instruction when we do win the ball you will notice the Mazzala will pick his moments and just look to support the wing back on the right hand side as well rather than just you run the ball and he's instantly gone we want him to actually support the play it's very important for him to support the right wing back so he's not isolated and then on the left hand side of the central midfield we're just going to have a central midfielder on attack running making that forward run inside the box the Mazala will kind of use that right half space whereas the central midfielder will look to attack the box and then lastly up front we've got a pressing forward on support on the right hand side this he was going to hold up the ball he can hold up the ball for the Mazala or he can hold up the ball for the central midfielder and then on the left hand side we have a deep line forward on attack another supportive role sort of because he's still a deep line forward dropping deep to receive the ball but he will also look to score goals move into the channels as well hopefully moving into the left channel and that would also supply the wing back with some support on the left-hand side. Mm, interesting, interesting. I'll be honest, I've never used a DLF on attack, so that sort of instantly made me like, oh, because my, one of my favorite. thought would have been that, yeah, deep line, deep line forward on support, pressing forward on attack, but that makes much more sense now you've explained it to say that he will still be looking to press forward. Now, obviously you said there that you've got these potential changes with regards to these these middle two players, our central midfielder on attack, our Mazala on attack. If we wanted to move them into those more attacking spaces. Would you keep the same rules or would you look for, for a different role there as you move them into the, the next step up, essentially? So for the left side of the central midfield, if I'm looking to grab a goal, it's got to be a shadow striker. Someone that's is very aggressive getting into the box. But if not, if I'm looking to start with this sort of shape, then I would use an attacking midfielder on attack. Someone that kind of positions himself in that attacking midfield area and then as play progresses he will look to get into the box especially if your wide uh, fullbacks have got the ball in the wider areas he's going to look to put himself inside the box and then for the Mazala if I move it into attacking midfield I will be looking to use an advanced playmaker now he's going to be a little bit different behave a little bit different because now the ball is going to be more attracted to him we're going to be looking to use him more because he's now our playmaker but similar to a Mazala 
they would like to move. They don't like just to stay in that position. They will move around. So if your wing back has the ball on the right hand side again, your advanced playmaker will look to just slightly shift over to that side and apply, apply and <laughs> support your wing back on the right hand side. Mm, so that's interesting. The double playmaker on on the same side. Are they? Yeah. Is that sort of like so you get the overload essentially, then you can switch play to those to the left hand side with that wing back on attacks bombing on and the attacking midfielders bombing on and the DLF sort of doing his stuff? That could happen. It wasn't really or wouldn't be really the intention. So what in my thinking is you've got again, you've got the build up play, then you've got your middle third, and then you've got the final third. So we're ho- obviously hoping that the deal, the DLP is not going to be in that advanced area where now we're focusing on playing to both playmakers. The deep line playmaker is going to be there. So when we're building up from the back, we're going to rely on him to help us with our progression. And then when, we, when we're moving into that sort of mid-third to attacking third, then we're more relying on the advanced playmaker to then dictate the tempo for us. But a lot, because we don't really have a focus, so there will be more of a natural focus to the right-hand side. But in general, we don't really have a focus. It's still going to be more central play because that is where majority of the bodies are. So even though it's slightly on the right-hand side, I doubt the ball will be more attracted to the actual right side of the pitch. It's still going to be more into that central area. Okay, no, that makes complete sense to be honest. And just as we start to wrap this up, people are looking at this tactic thinking this is a good idea. They want to try it out. Very, very quickly, what sort of players do we need for it? I'm guessing we need players who are dynamic. Are they going to put a shift in? Do we need creative players? Yeah, so well, I use something similar. Not the exact same thing, but something similar. And what actually helps is, well, your two defensive midfielders, I mean, if they're good in the air, that is a who's bonus. Because you will notice if your, uh, your front two are pressing, even though we're not really high pressing, we're still looking to force errors, especially preventing their short goalkeeper distribution. And what actually tends to happen is they look to kick the ball long and you kind of expect your centre-backs to be having good jumping reach. But if your defensive midfielders have also good jumping reach and just good anticipation reading of the game, you win the ball a lot and recover the ball a lot in that sort of area. And it's dangerous because then you can kind of to play to your more attacking players. This is what your holding midfielders will do. Look for your attacking players, your attacking midfielder, your playmaker or Mazala, and then your team will then go and create. Hopefully, the opposition team have this, well, they've been disorganised. So I would actually look for some really physical defensive midfielders, fast, so they can read the game, intercept play, and also big as well, tall, so they can win the ball in the air. And the wingbacks are very, very important. The fullbacks, they have no support ahead of them, so they need to be good at dribbling, crossing, have good off-the-ball movement, but also decent defenders. I wouldn't say the best defenders. They don't have to be the Ashley Coles of the fullbacks when it comes to defending, but someone that can, I mean, he's not going to lose every one-on-one duel. Yeah, interesting. All right, cool. Well, you know what? I'm excited about this because I have tried a Brazilian box before. Those tweaks, though, make a lot more sense to me now that I've seen it out uh, explained to me. Um, feel free to have a go. Let us know how you get on. Let us know who you do the tactic with and the team you're using and all that sort of stuff. Do, of course, feel free to get in touch, particularly if you want your tactic ran through the tactics garage. Now, obviously, what we do at that point is we ask you to tweet us a screenshot, which is at RDF Tactics. It's at Tony Jameson. Tweet us a picture of your tactic, but more importantly, tell us what is wrong with it. And maybe next time or in the future, the tactics garage will be open for you. It's time for the community challenge. And with that, 
we welcome producer Steve. Hello, producer Steve. Hello, Tony and Aaron. How are we both? Very well, very well. Thank you. And yourself? I'm very well. Yeah, good. Very good um, today. Which is, a, which is which could be multiple days depending when you're listening. I was thinking like I said today as if it's my today, but obviously people will be listening to this the day it comes out, but days afterwards, and maybe months into the future. So I'm good on my today, and I hope everyone listening is good on their today, whenever that today is. Can you tell that I've, like, I've literally just only just had some food and it's like to circulate into my system. I love the fact that we're potentially having people listen go, well, Steve said he was having a lovely day today and it's not, it's three months down the line and you're having an absolute horrible, horror show. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so obviously we're going to, as, as has been mentioned at the top of the show, bring the Sheffield Wednesday Community Challenge actively to an end. People can continue it at their leisure too, but we're going to sort of week by week stop it now this week. But before that, we've got a bit of an announcement, haven't we, Tony? We have. We are incredibly excited, actually, as well, Steve, because we are doing a live show. A live football manager show at Insomnia Gaming Festival, which is at the NEC in Birmingham. Now, that's held over Easter weekend, so you can come and see myself and and Aaron and producer Steve in the flesh, as we look to record a live version of the show, we're going to be doing a Tactics Garage. We're going to search for a star. Maybe there might be a special guest. So does that sound fun? That sounds very, 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 very exciting to see you guys both actually in the flesh as well. And crucially, what day and what time would this be happening? Because there's certain days you could turn up, get all the way to Birmingham on Easter weekend. We wouldn't be there. But what, so what day are we on there, Tony? So we're on the Friday. So the actual uh, the actual gaming festival is Friday through to Sunday. We're on Friday, Good Friday, which is the 7th of April. Our slot is at 4 p.m. in the afternoon. Okay, so uh, in order to lock yourself in, make sure you see us. You can buy day tickets. You can buy weekend passes. If you want to get either of those, if you're going to get a day pass, get it for the Friday to see us, obviously. Um, get those tickets at insomniagamingfestival.com. That is insomniagamingfestival.com. So Friday the 7th of April at 4 o'clock is when we are doing the show, but we'll be there sort of beforehand and a bit after two, just mingling around, nerding out as well, to be honest with you. There's some computers set up for us to stream and we can go and hang out and meet people. So yeah, we'll be there all day. So yeah, come and say hello. One of the things you could do at the live show too is um, we can all have a sort of collective therapy session when it comes to the Sheffield Wednesday Community Challenge, which we are, of course, this episode bringing to an end so very very quickly as i've said if you want to start it by 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 all means give it a go i know some people are still going and didn't start at the same time as us to do crack on um for those of you who do want to do that very quick run through of the tiers bronze take your time chill out be free don't get sacked but as we have already said um with the sheffield wednesday challenge season one they really want promotion so the pressure is kind of on even though we try to take it off you silver that is reaching the Premier League in five seasons, signing whoever you want from wherever you want. The gold tier is where it starts to get quite hard. Get to the Premier League in three seasons, so that is your consecutive promotions. Um, and I just realised it would have been really good to have done the promotions relegations chat with Andrew Sinclair at the start of the challenge, wouldn't it, really? <laughs> so we have learned so many things far too late as we've put this challenge together, but there we go. Yes, so goal, get to the Premier League in three seasons with only signing players and staff from Yorkshire is our gold challenge. Very difficult. 
basically impossible the top one is a platinum platinum tier the platinum tier which is get to the premier league in three seasons with only signing players and staff from yorkshire and before you're in the premier league you have to win a cup so the league cup or the fa cup which means you're into Europe. So I don't think anyone's done that. It would have been very, 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 uh, almost not believable if anyone had done it, really, if being honest. But um, so, yes, as we bring the challenge actively to a close, um, who is first up off the rank, Tony? Not me. I'll tell you, that. not me. I'm not, I'm not first up. I, I am a glutton for punishment, right, to be honest, because I'm not going to get I didn't get in the Premier League in three seasons. Of course I didn't. Of course I didn't. <laughs> Yeah, we're glad the challenge is over. Um, Will Rich has got in touch via Discord. He had a bit of a problem because Michael Smith was out until the new year. Bear in mind, he's currently in March and doesn't have any other target forwards. Oh dear, that could be a bit of a problem. Mm. That is an issue. The manager is second-guessing himself tactically. They've got three systems to choose from and doesn't know which one they're going to go with. So the first one is a 4-2-3-1. Then he's got a 4-3-3, but also a 3-4-1-2, which I believe I might have given him and it's not going as smoothly <laughs> as we'd hoped. But, you know, if things happen, things happen. New staff, maybe it's new staff. But anyway, these guys who have been with us all the way along through the Community Challenge, there's been a sense of... People wanting it to end. (laughs) So this week, we'll bring it to a close. Um, We'll hear in a second how Tony and Aaron have got on as well. But um, it's not all doom and gloom. As Darnor, who's another Discord update, managed to reach the Premier League within three seasons, signing only Yorkshire players and staff. So we have a gold, in theory, we have a gold medal here. An astonishing, quite frankly, unbelievable record from Darnor. Um, Winning League One with 113 points which included 35 victories out of the 46 games. Second season was promotion from the championship, finishing second behind Ipswich, who would have also then been in the championship and uh, done consecutive promotions too. But in that second season, Sheffield Wednesday had 93 points. So Premier League football and a gold emoji awaits you. Congratulations there. Is that the first time ever? Two teams getting consecutive promotions? That feels very unlikely, doesn't it? Yeah. So it's switch and Sheffield Wednesday. And then, because obviously Sheffield Wednesday won League One with 113 points in that first season, Ipswich would have come second or playoffs. Yeah. So then that Ipswich side would have then become a champ, got into the championship too, and then won the championship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, in the in the many, many multiverses that can be a football manager save, I'm sure that that, that, that is evidently one where that happens. There we go. <laughs> Fleetwood won the league in my save. That's all I'm oh, saying. I, I'm oh, just gonna give okay, you okay, yeah. I'm, I'm just and that's me tapping out at the end of the year. <laughs> As you know, very importantly, how did you finish, Tony? Because obviously we had the promotion, the playoff. We're not you're not getting away with this. Other people shared their grief at this challenge you as one of the hosts of the show will have to do the same so we know you had playoff disappointment previously but how has the Sheffield Wednesday Community Challenge come to an end for you? The Sheffield Wednesday Community Challenge has been riddled with disappointment from day one um I'm still in a job let's put it that way right I'm still in a job somehow okay yes we missed out on on promotion in the first season the playoffs were a cruel mistress I thought I'll go back I'll lick my wounds I'll refresh myself I challenged again for season two, playoffs again. Oh. <laughs> Who's seen this movie before? <laughs> <laughs> I have seen this movie before. Um, 
I got a load of signings actually in the January. Loads of of, uh, of, of good Yorkshire players came available. Where I just stuck players in on loan. Um, I got players like Sam Cosgrove, I thought could have been a half decent striker. Beasley came in from Blackpool. I got him as a forward. I got Will Jarvis in from Hull. And these were just like, just bodies that I was like sort of a massive. Because <laughs> the thing I was noticing, and, and, and the thing I'm very aware of in managing in League One, is the fixture pileup, the congestion. Oh. Your players are just like, they haven't got the energy to go two games. Uh, a, a week, you know, and like, and, or two games in consecutive, and they're like, mm. done or fair play if you've managed to to be able to keep that squad fresh and and your tactics are working. I had this five at the back system I was working with, and basically what I'm trying to say is I missed out on the playoffs again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've actually, I've actually finished fifteenth uh, in the Premier League, Ooh. but um, so I got thirty million pound when you get to the Premier uh, Premier League, but. <laughs> Because of my mess up with the Yorkshire side, I went for the uh, only Yorkshire thing, but I started signing players from Kingston. King, that's like Kingston from Jamaica, everywhere. I started, but anywhere from Kingston. So I kind of messed up. So in the in the Premier League, I didn't just want to then spend the 30 million pounds. I didn't want to just blow everything out of the So I just only made three signings. None of them are from Kingston, by the way. Mm-hmm. I've got just fully given up on that. Yeah, any, I've given up on it, but I've also committed to obviously just not spending it and going silly and just buying like a whole new squad. So I've got Courtney, Courtney House from Aston Villa, mm-hmm. Jordan Brooks, and a Pedro de la Vega. He came from Arsenal, but he starts at Lanús in Argentina. So I've only made three signings. But um, funny you mentioned the fitness thing, Tony, because there was a fixture pile up in the prem, uh, in the League One and Championship. Not so much in the Premier League when you're not in Europe. But at the same time, some of these players have been playing over 40 games for two seasons in a row. And I think it's, it's actually cool up to them. So oh. it got to a point that even though there was a week break, I would play a game and it would like, this person needs a rest and this person needs a rest as well. So I think someone like Will, uh, Will Vaux has been with us since the beginning that He's played 42 games in the first season, second season, 44, and then played nearly 37 in the third oh, season. So I think his legs have just, they've literally to given way. They've given way. Mm. It doesn't help. His natural fitness is on 13, so it's not the greatest. So yeah, we finished 15th, but now it's that sort of, I've got promoted. Now it's time for some of these people to, to go and I'm going to have fun. Just spend some money. Spend, spend, spend. Okay, so in terms of the, because um, it, What's the point of this challenge if you can't give awards out to ourselves, right? So yeah, in terms exactly. of um, silver has gone to yourself, Aaron. Come um, on, lads! And there you go. Uh, <laughs> and it could have been a, it. Could have been a goal, but oh. I suspect if you'd have signed only if, a few of those players, were any, were any of those Kingston players, your Patrick Roberts, etc., quite crucial to you. Yeah, Patrick Roberts. Okay, so there, we go. <laughs> there would have been a silver. Without Patrick Roberts, I'm, we're talking relegation. <laughs> right, right, right. And it's so a Tony. You've, you have got the bronze. I noticed you said a job, not the Sheffield Wednesday job. So you haven't Ooh. jumped ship like previous. <laughs> I haven't. I, I got. I got offered the Cardiff job though. I got offered the Cardiff job in the championship. Yeah, um, they were struggling. That would have, <laughs> yeah. Again, that would have been good with the uh, the chat with Andrew there about dealing with relegation. So you ended up with the bronze then, because you um. I got the well done for taking part award. Yeah. That's what I got. <laughs> we didn't have a wooden spoon, but the bronze effectively is. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? It's fine. We can all say that's done. Sheffield Wednesday is over. For us, anyway, at least. It's taken its toll. And I think we need something new. So we'll have a think. 
We'll come back with a new challenge. I mean, I'm guessing I'm not allowed to be in charge of what that challenge might be. <laughs> um, so if anyone's got any suggestions for what you think might be a decent challenge, of course, we're looking no longer than five seasons, then you know, do feel free to pop them over to us, do it via Discord, tweet us, or send them to our new email address, which is thefmshowpod at gmail.com. Other correspondence. Steve, what have we found from our said email account? Danny Gallagher has done just that and written in to say, Hello, everyone. I'm a big fan of the pod. It's lifted me out of many an FM hole, so a big thank you for that. Now, uh, Danny has, of course, paid the toll, so he knows the score, so he may enter. Danny is in the midst of a long-term save and recently had the chance to make a move from overachieving Dundee United to a very much underperforming Newcastle United, so from one United to another. Danny's really toyed, toying with this move, really unsure about it, um, uh, was unsure about it as they were having a great time at Tannadise, which is Dundee United Stadium, and was even on the verge of the Europa League last 16. Did decide to make the move mid-season, which is sort of where the question's going, um, at the end of December, immediately landing at the spit, the spit show. That is Newcastle United. Danny, thank you for keeping the episode clean. That's very appreciated. Um, <laughs> Danny brought most of their coaching staff with them, but half of them had to wait for a work permit, which between Scotland and England, I, who knows why that is the case, but as, yeah. a, as, a, as a, someone who's also suffered with registration issues for various people, I, f- I feel your pain, Danny. And also had a fixture run of 19 games in 11 weeks. So as we just discussed with the Sheffield Wednesday Challenge, when the games just are piling up, it's just there's only so much you can do in a way. Um, so Danny's looking for advice and tips on how to manage these moves mid-season, particularly when you don't have the pre-season to introduce your ideas and to get the players fit and have a sense of the players too. Um, they had a transfer win, though, which definitely helped. But it was hard to balance bringing in players to get us out of the hole that they're currently in or as a plan ahead and potentially not make it to the summer because you you put in the long-term plan, but you were sacked. So keep up the great work, Danny. So this is sort of mid-season moving, mid-season moves and how to make the most of them. What do we think, chaps? The moment you said I really toyed with the move, that's when I just knew things are not going to be as smooth. So I've, I've done the same. I've done similar things where you're just contemplating, contemplating, and you finally make that move. And then as soon as you do it, you're in the office, first interview, like, I've regret it. I've really regret <laughs> this. Um, my thing now is just if I'm toying with the idea, then that means it's, a, it's the wrong idea for me. What usually happens now is if I'm going to move, I already have the idea of what I want to do at that club. So I would have seen the budget, I would have seen the squad, and I'd be like, yeah, I can work here, rather than just sitting there toying with the idea. Should I, should I not? Because when I do that, that is when it literally just kills everything for me. But once, if you do have, or if you have taken that jump and you're there now, then I think patience, patience, training schedules as well, very important. We had uh, we had Andrew earlier talking about just adding some things like community uh, community outreach and what I usually do as well. If I take over a club mid-season, there's a lot of tactical training. Again, just getting people familiar with yourself, your ideas and your tactic, of course, but also just team cohesion as well. You're likely entering a team with low morale and what you want to do instantly is boost that tactical training I found is one great way to do that and of course with training schedules you can just tweak a training schedule the tactical training schedule is not going to come with community outreach or any of the team bonding stuff which you can just easily add in yourself so that's one thing that I would do is a lot of tactical training and just focus on getting the team familiar with yourself and the tactics that you are or you have set Mm, I mean, it's an interesting way of looking at Aaron because you are kind. You are you are right. Obviously, you're coming into this example particularly 
Newcastle are in bad form. Yeah. There's also the possibility that you're coming in mid-season because the manager has been poached to go to a better club. For example, look at the alternative where uh, the Dundee United job is now available, right? So that manager ah. comes in mid-season. You've actually got a squad that's playing pretty well. You want to come in and add your ideas to a squad that's already performing. So that's easier, surely. You can come in, just keep that momentum going. But if you're coming in there with a team that's not doing great, you want to kind of get a bit of a flair for it, as you say. If you're on the fence, then it's probably not the right move if you're thinking they're struggling. I worry when I come into a, into a side mid-season and the transfer window's already open. I like coming in <laughs> before the transfer window because I know I panic when the yeah. window's open and I just buy players for the sake of... I buy the wrong players, I think. I like to scout players. I like to try and get as much information as I can. If I've not got a lot of time to work out who those players are, I don't feel like those signings are particularly well thought out. And if you're in a, a side that's struggling, you need really smart recruitment. So sometimes don't just go splashing the cash straight away. It could actually be counter, counterproductive. But what I would say is just take time. Just slow yeah. down. Sit on that squad screen for as long as you need. Don't feel rushed into clicking continue and getting to the next day and the next day and the next day. Yeah sit dissect it work out where you think it may have gone wrong because you're not going to have all the data you're not going to see the goals and the chances exactly that have been, yeah been been happening before your very eyes so you can only work with what you've got whereas of course in real life you'd be aware of all that you'd have seen videos and stuff on this game you don't get all those highlights so sit <laughs> take your time look at it try and work out are you bringing a new tactic do you have the players for that tactic is the tactic that they're playing actually all right and it's just the wrong players are in the wrong positions and you just need better players? That's what I would do. Take the time. I also thought about something as well. Um, see, the attribute screen for me is a bit of a smoke screen. So, <laughs> so like physically, like the physical attributes, okay, if someone's fast, they're, they're bound to be fast. But if someone's got a finishing of 16, it doesn't automatically mean that now when they play in the game, they're just going to bury any or most of the chances that's put in front of them. And that's what a lot of us do. So we will take over a new club. We'll go through the best players, which we'll is instantly look at the best players and we'll try and shape the tactic around them. But sometimes the best players are the issue. So what I would do is actually sort the team out by average rating and then kind of see who's playing badly and then possibly leave them out for the first few games. So like I, in my head, I'm just thinking of Eric Ten Hag as well, walking into that Manchester United. He kind of kept the same the same formation, the same team as the previous year. And then in the first couple of games, you instantly saw those people that had the bad form were carrying on that sort of bad form for him. And then when he sort of changed up, then the good form came and you can do something similar in football manager. Just because the striker there is like, it says ability wise, he's the best player there. Sometimes he could actually be performing that badly is a detriment to the team. And then in football manager as well, what sometimes happens is you could just throw in a youngster and that youngster could perform for you for those four or five games, get that striker, the other striker a rest. And then you can start putting, pulling in that striker back in slowly and then hopefully you can start banging in the goals for you. I mean, a lot of that advice was like, don't do it. And it's like, it's done, it's done now, guys. So no, the, the question wasn't, should I do it? The, 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 the question was, I've done it, help. That was the, <laughs> was a bit of that. But um, to sort of like tie a bow in it, I suppose, the mid-season joining is difficult. Yeah. But it, it's essentially, you kind of have to get through that, the second half of the season. It's not going to be the moment to install your tactical vision. It's, it's going to be the moment to get the results, to stabilise the ship a bit and then get to that 
if you take the job in the December or the January, etc., getting to the end of the season and then keeping the job in the summer for you to then actually be able to do what you want with that squad and the resource. Because obviously, you know, he built a lovely thing at Dundee United, but comparatively speaking, Newcastle United will have resources that are a bigger opportunity. So it's a little bit of survival. Anyway, I hope all of that helped. Danny, thanks very much for your email. Absolutely. And if you want to be like Danny and have your correspondence <laughs> read out, potentially not answered, if you've made a choice and you want us to go, ah, maybe you shouldn't have done that, then get in touch. <laughs> <laughs> Give us your questions. Give us your hopes and dreams. We will read them out on the show and you need to do that. So, And in order to do that, you need to send them to our brand spanking new email address, which is thefmshowpod at gmail.com. That is thefmshowpod at gmail.com. Obviously, we have already said if you wanted to send a tactics garage, tweet us a screenshot of the tactic and more importantly, what is wrong with it. And, of course, the FM Confessional is waiting for you. You can get in touch via Twitter. I'm at Tony Jameson. Aaron is at RDF Tactics. And one more time, a reminder of that email address, thefmshowpod at gmail.com. And that was the Football Manager Show from The Athletic. Your guest today was Andrew Sinclair from Sports Interactive. Your co-host was RDF Tactics. Your producer was producer Steve Hankey. And I am Tony Jameson. Take care, stay safe. We'll see you soon. The Athletic.